Hi, this is Carol Miller from iHeartMedia's Q1043 in New York. Our friends Alan Thompson and Nigel Pierce are presenters on British radio. And here on our UK radio podcast, we give you a taste of what real UK radio sounds like. This time, Nigel Pierce talks with Paul Fenton, the drummer for the group T-Rex. And we'll hear about some demos they did at Apple Studios. Now, we've been very fortunate to secure the services of a very honorable guest. And we've decided to open up the T-Rex cupboard and uh, to look at the early demos from 1968 to 1972, possibly early 73, uh, that he did at Apple Studios and associations of. Um, But first, Alan, I think uh, let's start with a real full-blown T-Rex track and then we can introduce our guest. So, Alan, what are we going to start with? Okay, right. Back to 1972 now and Children of the Revolution. Mark Boland, T-Rex, and I believe that was 1972. Um, Am I right, Alan, there? Yeah, it was. Children of the Revolution, and I have to say I haven't heard that track for a long time. And it's a lot better than what I thought it was first time round. So I think that's an incredible track. And uh, testament to Mark Boland because he was one of the children of the revolution, was well, he, he not? He, he certainly was. And uh, also it's testament to the era in which that was recorded too. It still sounds as fresh today as it was recorded in uh, 1972. Now, of course, we've got a very special guest today, uh, Nigel. We have indeed. And uh, I'm very honoured. And I say that and I doff my cap to said gentleman before we introduce him. Because uh, to get a living link to Mark Boland and T-Rex is incredibly hard. I spoke to Dave, and he said, I know just a man. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm very pleased, and please make yourself welcome at home to have on the show Paul Fenton. Now, if you're a T-Rex fan, you'll know who it is if you're a diehard. If you're an occasional fan, you may not. But first of all, Paul, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you very much indeed, Nigel. It's a pleasure. And I can hear that you're very happy and relaxed. So, um... Can you just tell us, first of all, just for the listeners and everything else now, when did you actually join T-Rex and when did you well, become involved? Well, what it was, yeah, um, I met, uh, working with Tony Visconti, of course, who was his producer and, uh, and mentor uh, back, at, back in, at that time. It, it was, I probably met him uh, toward the back end of 1973 and uh, I went round to, I was invited round to his house with Tony um and th- the same the same day or the following day i stayed over at marks uh, at that time and i was on t- a tv show with david bowie the following day <laughs> uh which was the midnight special which was with the american band that i was also working with carmen and uh, mm. I, I i was i was stuck in the middle of london and uh, um, at marks place and it, it, all the clothes i'm wearing on the Bowie Midnight Special Show, the eighties floor show, were, that were loaned to be my by Mark. So, yeah, back in of seventy three. Seventy three. So then you joined him, I suppose, when he'd gone through Fly Records and was back on an EMI label. Yeah, yeah, about that time, of course. And uh, yeah, the first, apart from rehearsing and recording with him, it was the Truck Off tour that I was invited on, which was uh, on stage. I think he had 13 musicians on stage. <laughs> so that was, it was quite quite a band he was touring with. But I'm, I'm, I'm not sure whether... 
whether at that time uh, there was a period where, where Mark had, you know, I think it was not struggling, but it was it was trying to impress, and and his popularity used to kind of peak, and and, and then back in, you know, toward the trough again, and and it was a time of, you know, it, it wasn't quite sure um, what was going to happen next, but. Uh, um, he never he never stopped trying, did Mark? And what a genius writer! And as you said earlier, uh, you can hear uh, you know his tracks once and without concentrating or knowing background, but they do grow on you. And the first track that you played, "The Children of a Revolution," uh, because I still tour uh, with a, with a with a, a band that um, you know playing the T-Rex music, and that one track, wherever we go to, from Russia to Japan or wherever around Europe, is the uh, the favourite amongst the audience. They can all relate to that so he knew how to certainly relate to people and coming up with children of the revolution was absolute genius well paul if you backtrack uh, you know previous to when the, the the hit singles actually started to uh, to arrive in the charts uh, look at the era of tyrannosaurus uh, rex uh, now i did actually ask mark about that and this might come out in part of the interview that we uh, will be using t- today uh, where uh, where Tyrannosaurus Rex was concerned. Had you actually heard their music in that particular era? Oh yeah, uh, you know, from Steve Peregrine took onwards. Uh, obviously, it was it was well played uh, on the radio and uh, um, and and was becoming quite a phenomenon. I mean, this this you know these two guys uh, sat on cushions on a on a stage playing in front of a mass audience was something that you know w- w- was quite unique and so from from you know from when the the small snowball was tipped off the mountain topic gathered momentum as mm. as the years went on no it was it was something quite different and uh, yeah I, i've always i've always liked it i never thought for one minute i'd ever finish up playing with him or meeting him but uh, that's what happened well um we've got lots of surprises here um we've got some interviews to mark Bowen, so it really is a t-rex special today now um i'm going to start off with a demo that was cut at apple uh, and then it was issued on fly as a massive hit selling single and right. uh, everybody knows it and you know it as uh, get it on right uh, um but you're going to hear it in one of the mixes that it was being worked on right how um, interesting yes yeah. that's what we do here on future radio 107.8 fm and Swindon 105.5 fm and they're going to do it now so just lay back and get soaked up once again with a very young and energetic but driving mark bolan wow uh, do you know take the voice but we won't need it we just use it as a guide and i'll read it bill so uh, i'll cue i'll cue you for the breaks so don't worry and uh, kim boom kim boom you know um steve come in with me at the same time at the beginning so we'll do it on the one two three one two three four We'll blur it there. It's getting there, though. Listen, uh... Your thoughts there, Paul? Yeah, I mean... Listen to all it's it's amazing listen to his instruction i, I used to, we used to get that he did that all the time of course um when he was trying something out uh, this that was before gloria jones or or the cosmic choir were were overdubbed on there so yeah 
really, really good stuff. Well, did you enjoy hearing it? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, don't forget, I'm still out touring with the band, and I, I play, I play all these tracks <laughs> all the time. I've been playing them for the last twenty years. I know, years. but to actually hear versions like that, it must. Be oh like no, that well, you know, it it takes you back to it. it I mean, it takes you back to the studio time, mm. of course, Scorpio Studios, and uh, there be there be many times even we'd spent all day there, and they, you know, because the the one two session guys used to come in to. Uh, to do stuff, he, he didn't, he wasn't using members of his band when I was recording with him that much, because I mean, Steve Kerry had, uh, had died, and uh, Mickey Finn had left, and goodness knows, yeah, everything else had, had been going on, so when I was with him, he was pulling, uh, you know, uh, a lot of uh, pro players introduced to him by Tony, but they just take me, it, it took me right back to the time when we were in Scorpio Studios. Yeah, um, doing his new his new tracks, and it was it's lovely to to listen to him talking and giving his instruction. I mean, no, it was wonderful. Well, interesting point there, um, Paul, because uh, you're the direct link from the original band. When you go out on stage now, how difficult is it, or was it? I mean, you've been doing it, like you say, for twenty odd years now. But how difficult was it in the initial stages to recreate that unique Mark Boland stroke T Rex sound? Well, it. It's almost impossible to to recreate any original sound. Um, it's like somebody trying to, you know, copy Picasso. You can get a rough idea of what, you know, what would have been done, but it's never exactly the same. And and not trying to, um, you know, uh, you can't replace Mark Boland's voice. Um, we didn't we didn't have Sister Patol or Gloria Jones working with us. So even though we, I've got great backing singers, it was it was difficult. But it, it gives you the, you know, I think playing anything with 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 passion and uh, and, and emotion. Um, I think that's what the people see. I mean, we yeah, we it, it does sound, you know, we have a pretty good sound. Plus, I've got a, you know, I've got a guy, uh, Graham Oliver. Um, who was the founder member of uh, Saxon? He comes and tours with me, and he he also met Mark, and and you know, and we try to create as close as we possibly can, but it would never be exactly the same. And why would you try to do that when anybody can go and listen to the stuff on on the, in their own stereos? I think it was just getting the excitement, the passion, and the belief uh, that we have in the music. You know, as long as we're putting that across, that's the main thing. But hearing the track in the embryonic state must have been a real opener because oh, the power, yeah, the, the, absolutely. the power, the, I actually like that sound better than the than the release sound. It's raw, it's rough, it's right at you, isn't it? Well, well, that's it. Uh, I mean, that's the main thing because I was lucky enough to to tour with him, and uh, I worked in England and also Los Angeles, recorded in Los Angeles with him, and and when we toured, I mean, that was. That is, is, is exactly what it would have sounded like. It was raw when we were working with him because he would play, Mark would look at the audience. If the audience were up for it, he'd do an extra chorus, an extra verse, and so on, and extra long solos because he, he got off on, on the energy from the, you know, from the screaming audience. And believe me, when I'm talking about an audience going wild, that's exactly the experience. You could hardly hear each other playing because of the noise from from the audience and so it was loud it was raw and i tried to emulate that feeling and, and that sound when, when i go out doing it 
Because I know in, when that uh, track, we've just played the uh, the demo track, but I mean, the original single, uh, when it was released in the States, was called Banger Gong, brackets, get it on. Uh, I don't right. know why they changed that, uh, that there, but I can recall, because uh, um, without boring the audience silly again about any stuff I've done in America, I know when um, I got the recordings back from the States in the mid-1970s, one station pushed it, uh, called WNOE in New Orleans. I, I have no idea whether the radio station still exists or not, but I can remember they plugged it uh, very, very heavily. I mean, where the American side uh, was uh, concerned, I mean, he only had really the, or the band really had just that one big hit in the early 1970s, although he spent a lot of time uh, out there. Um, where yeah. American audiences are concerned, have, have you found they've been just as receptive in, in this day and age, as it were? Well, yeah, I think I think it's like anything else. It was uh, I, I don't think he had the success that he, he was hoping for when he was in America, um, and I think that was a little bit disappointing for him. And had they have had they have gone through other album tracks, maybe they would have warmed to it. But he, he had a, he had a very the American audiences are, are unbelievable. They, if if they don't like you, they'll let you know very quickly. And <laughs> yes. I, I don't think he felt the warmth or, or the, or the, uh, the mayhem or enthusiasm from the audiences and so he, you know that's why he didn't have a great deal of success but um, you know he, he never stopped trying he did take the challenge on had he pursued it all uh, had he been alive today doing it then he would have been packing stadiums of course which I, think, was I think you're right there Paul now what we're going to do is some more music now we've got another demo version of a different track now uh, from the Electric Warrior album, right. we're going to have Jeepster. So we're getting closer to when you uh, popped in there and, and made up the numbers. So <laughs> yeah. here, is yeah, a, okay. here is a demo version of Jeepster. Okay, thank you. Great. You got well, there it goes, Paul. Your comments on that little gem? Well, I'll I tell you something. It, when uh, when Mark had, had put um, um, chord se uh, sequence together with the lyrics that he I, I I would bet anything that he hadn't written that song no later than three or four days before that reference was taken. Well, there you go. Alan, any comments that you'd like to throw in the pot there? Well, where that uh, particular song was concerned, when you consider what a ginormous hit it was, and that's how it uh, actually started. I mean, uh, it came out, I think, or at least it started recording things like King of the Rumbling Spires around about the same time. And also, uh, with uh, these demos we are playing now, we should point out to the listeners that they are the demos, not actually the original singles, though some are pretty close to uh, the original yeah. singles. But these are uh, the demos, if you like, the draft copies of what he was trying to do. And I think now might be an opportune moment to, to bring in the uh, interview uh, that um, I did with him in 1975. And I should point out that uh, this, uh, what you're about to hear now, was uh, a listening copy. We've managed to digitalize it to uh, clean it up a bit. But uh, as I say, I should point out, the sound is a little thinner than it would normally be. At the latter end of 1975, I did a series of uh, interviews with the then pop stars, rock stars that were around at the time for Canadian radio. I'd actually had uh, one program in the States in the summer of 1975. This was being put together for January 1976 
Now, I have heard in the last few months that radio station CHM in Hamilton, Ontario does still exist, but it's now a sports station. Well, uh, there you go. <laughs> they gave up. And I did oh. ask, did you have the original programme knocking around in your cupboards? And they said, well, we don't know. Uh, <laughs> I said, well, it was only 40-odd years ago. I mean, for goodness sake, you know, come on. <laughs> but anyway, what you're about to hear is a listening copy, and this is what was broadcast by CHM in January 1976. Already, Paul? Yeah, absolutely. Here we go. Mark, welcome to the programme. Thanks very much for the interview. My pleasure. Right, now, tell us, I understand you've got a new album out very soon. Yeah, What's happening it on comes it? out in January, and it's called 1st of January, so it's called Future of Dragon. Uh-huh. What sort of stuff are you playing on it? Um, New York City would be on it, but most of the things that I do are futuristic. <laughs> but I've gone back to psychedelia. Do you like psychedelia? A lot of backwards guitars and singing and shouting and lots of noise. Oh, Very different for a Berlin album. Hence the Superman Superman. This is, um, I call it my epileptic jacket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like um, I did an interview with Stan Lee of Marvel Comics, you know? Yeah. And uh, he's very into superhero things, you know. I just find it one of their characters, uh, four, you know, got a yeah. thunder and so. And you like it. So that's it. So it's, a, it's a four jacket. It's a four jacket. Oh, yeah. just describe for the listeners, whoever may be listening to this particular recording anyway, that uh, it's a beautiful striped thingy with, uh, what do you call these pads at the side here? Wings. Wings. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Sorry, McCartney. <laughs> right, now then. Uh, Tell us, what have you been doing in this last year? The things you can tell us about, anyway, um, music-wise. Mu- music-wise, I've been recording three albums. In fact, I've mm-hmm. done one on Gloria, Gloria yeah. um, my lady, and uh, mother of my son, uh, even though I'm married to someone else. <laughs> 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 a, little, a slight technical problem. Um, I've recorded Futures with Dragon. I've also cut um, a new story album that I'm doing, which is not finished yet, but... Um, it's tentatively called Billy Super Duper, um, but I don't know yet what to do. I'll probably change it, mm-hmm. which I've sold the film rights to. We made a movie of that as well. What sort of movie is this going to be? Uh, so it's a science fiction film. Yeah. It'd be like um, a, fu- a futuristic clockwork orange. I don't know it's futuristic today, I know. <laughs> it, it'd be something like a clockwork orange clip, you know, and a bit of satiricon. Thrown in, for goodness. You know. Do you fancy yourself as a movie star? Well, a lot of people seem to want me to be one. I mean, I'm not quite sure about it. I mean, I feel slightly inhibited still. Not yeah. on screen. Well, yeah. Are you camera shy or what? No, no. There's one thing I'm not. I'm so sure <laughs> I'm definitely a pom. Uh, excuse <laughs> me. I don't know. I, I like to flash my ego about. As you know, I'm, do, I'm doing a series on... Uh, ITV, you know, today, yeah. Yeah. I'm doing that for 14 weeks. Doing that for 14 weeks. Yeah. So we've got Roy Wood this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did Stan Lee as well. And I'm doing quite a few people. Who do you like musically yourself? Musically, I like Roy. Um, some of the McCartney things I like. Um, Beach Boys, early Jimi Hendrix stuff. Uh, old rockabilly. I'm very into old rockabilly. Yeah. Uh, Elvis, I like you know, the old things, not the new ones like you cute. Right. The old ones are great. <laughs> well, Mark Boland, with a very young Alan Thompson, I might add, at the latter end of 1975, prepping up the interview for uh, the Canadian rock ma- magazine that was produced in January 1976. And again, if you've just joined us, listeners, halfway through that, the uh, 
sound is very thin because it was actually recorded from uh, what we call a listening copy. Uh, we didn't know, obviously, when uh, that was recorded uh, the first time that Mark, fortunately, was going to die uh, in that car smash two years later. However, we've been able to... Uh, maintain that recording and have it digitalized and we've managed to get it cleaned up a bit but that's the reason why the sound quality on it was so poor but i'd be interested to uh, hear from paul uh, is that the mark that you remember absolutely yeah there's one thing about mark he was extremely consistent <laughs> you know that <laughs> it, that, it, yes. it, it never i mean it, it would go into a cameo role if there were press or cameras around him but in the studio it was it was you know exactly what he was going to be like and 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 how he gave his instruction now it, it, uh, I, I can't fault it in any way of course so what we like what we're going to do is play another track because and then we'll come back to you um we're going to keep a little bit before that because it was talking about late 74 75 i want to play a working version now of my personal favorite of his what i call hit records um i love metal guru um Oh, wow, yeah. And uh, that is my personal favourite. And I, I, my only criticism of the single is it's not long enough. I'm just getting into it, man, and it finishes. Um, but uh, we can talk about that after we listen to uh, this working version. Excellent. How emotional was that one for you, Paul? Well, absolutely. Um, very, very early stages. But do you know something? I, I think I know what, uh, what Mark would would like to have done. Like any any song that you're trying out, or anything that's brand new, it has to grow on you. And if you're ever any songwriter uh, that it, it does have a chance, once the songs have been registered and, and kept safe, is to actually tour with you know with that song, put the song into a set, and and you'll always and and then. Rec- record it after you've done a tour because you'll find then there's more energy into it you know what parts of it the audience like and 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 that's when it it really becomes interesting and and with a lot more power and conviction well you're hearing mark probably very intimately for uh, yourself like this for you know for you know for a very very long time absolutely uh, so you know um, i just wonder what it's sort of doing to you is it sort of are you probably, yeah you know well, it, this is what i mean about emotion are you going back in those times yeah well, well 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 of course and uh I, I do i have a lot of i've got a, a whole collection of of films and 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 so on relating to mark and i i, I do listen to them um and it, it's like anybody that that you've liked and respected and loved and and they come back especially if you're watching them you know like, like your own family members it, you know if if you actually see films of of parents or or or, or whatever other family that that have passed on and you'd see them and listen to them of course it it does have that effect on you and uh um but there's one thing we know there's there's, there's enough film and uh, and 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 recorded material that will always keep him alive because uh, that version was almost uh well folky i suppose uh, in a way is this a side uh, of mark that uh, he portrayed when you were working with him at all yeah it, it was and he always had that and 
the one thing that I didn't notice was happening is that you know with with Gloria Jones being into into more soul music, she tried to influence uh, you know that influence came in and and I think because they they loved each other a great deal, it was trying to it, it tried to put it, it did Dock of the Bay and all kinds of other tracks, and I think she was trying to impose more 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 of a, a, a Tamla Motown roots. Uh, or associate that with Mark or say why don't you try it like this and so on and so it, I mean it did change eventually but that's because they, they were just infatuated by each other and uh, yeah if your girlfriend or your wife says oh, well it wasn't his wife but uh, they were very close to it if she suggests something then you'll try and do it but um, yeah he didn't know what he wanted to do um, but he maybe compromises later on in some other songs he, he would have tried as an experiment well, Was he ever really a Motown fan because the, the reason I ask is that of course Gloria had written for the Four Tops hadn't she? Absolutely no. She 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 came along with a whole bunch of uh, amazing stuff, and uh, and I think I think that must have you know that that must have you know caused Mark's ears to prick up a little bit. And looking at Mark was always wanting you know he wanted he thrived on success and attention, like most people are you know at uh, at the peak of their career. And I think anybody who had any ideas that would lead them closer to uh, the, you know the, the top of the charge then he would be prepared to listen but it was it was stubborn in a way that if, if he had and of course and of course he read lots of poetry and was influenced by all kinds of stuff and and i think that played a very very big part he knew what his niche market was but if anything else could have been introduced to make it a little bit stronger or reinforce what he'd what he'd done he would take that on board well, that's an interesting thought. Now, we're going to follow that with what I consider a very appropriate song for Mark. And again, I think this one is quite emotional because I think it sums him up very well, which is probably the reason why he wrote it. It is a demo version, so it's a little bit rough, but uh, it's the quality of the history that we're putting today you know, on the programme. And we've got, yeah. pa- we've got Paul. So first of all, once again, Paul, thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. No, um, it's very enjoyable we haven't got to go yet don't worry about it no i'm fine i'm I'm happy i can hear that now we're going to play a very basic version but i think it extols mark's vocals and then maybe we'll have a bit more of alan's interviews we're going to have his version or the original version of life is strange right life is strange from t-rex a very uh acoustic-y, a folky version there, and you can't hear it on the phone, Paul, at the moment, but that track, as Alan very quickly pointed out, was one of the very rare times that Mark's voice and the guitar was double-tracked. Right. And you'll hear it when you hear the uh, the show. Um, when it goes out, you'll hear it. But uh, your thoughts on that? I think that summed up Mark very well. I so said, I think that summed up Mark very well. Are you still there, Paul? I'm sorry. Sorry, I've just got a bit of a cough. I just had to put my hand over the receiver. Uh, so okay. Let's but do, if, do you need to repeat that? Sorry. It's okay. It's all part of being live, man. That's what it's all about. Life isn't just a gas, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, how did that feel? I feel that's a song really in its motions, and emotions really summed Mark up very well, because some people say yeah. he was a bit strange, but uh, not odd, just strange. <laughs> 
I remember, I remember uh, uh, one, when I was once uh, around at Mark's apartment and, uh, and Donovan rang. It was a big friend of Donovan's, and Donovan was telling him that it changed his voice and put more of the, you know, the uh, reverberation into his voice, and they were laughing about it. And so he he spent a lot of time uh, talking with Donovan. So whether that had any influence on him or not, I don't know. Well, it's amazing you mentioned <laughs> Donovan. Give your hard pressed throat a rest, because Donovan was amongst the Beatles in a circle as well for the White Album, and yeah. if he was friends with Donovan. I'm sure that was possibly the link that brought Mark into Apple to do those dem or do these demos, because Probably. you know, um, fate and music moves in very particular and funny circles, does it not? Well, it, it does, and uh, but it's like you know, you can go uh, into get into a situation and not quite sure what's going to happen, but you're you're absolutely right, um, and uh, I know that <laughs> I know that he had. Uh, I mean, it, basically, it was um, it, it was up for anything, and uh, he did have a very a bunch of close friends around him, but not too many. I, I think he controlled uh, to a point of who he wanted to be associated with, and and so on. And uh, uh, and I, I think I think the time that Tony Visconti, you know, and he met uh, at the restaurant with uh, I think Mickey Finn was there, some restaurant in London. I think I think one I think once Tony got close to him, that kind of uh, put a comfort blanket round Mark, and and certainly protected him. And uh, and uh, and Tony would make sure that you know if he was doing anything, the right guys were there to help. Mm. I was uh, quite surprised actually, uh, Paul, that when I interviewed Mark that uh, that first time, that was the second time I'd actually met him. The first time was at London's Capital Radio on the. Uh, Kerry Juby uh, breakfast, uh, breakfast right, program, yeah. Yeah. and because uh, I was I was writing up something for them at that uh, that particular time, but when uh, I went round to the office uh, in what was near Victoria, uh, I remember we did the one. Uh, I say we because I was with another chap called Paul Noble who actually mm -hmm. went to work for the BBC before I did. But uh, I uh, conducted the interview as you've uh, as you've heard, and I remember at the end of it we chatted uh, generally, and he said, "Look, if you want to come back and do another one sometime, then please do." I think if he warmed to you, he was uh, he was okay. I don't have any preconceived notion about what he might uh, be like, but uh, unlike some artists, no names mentioned, but uh, would give you ten minutes and well, really, I should be somewhere else, you know, in five minutes' time, sort of thing. Yeah, looking Mark, at the watch. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I don't Ma think Mark. Wa I don't think I ever saw Mark with a watch on. <laughs> no, come to think, I don't think I won the day I met him. But that uh, that is something I've always uh, remembered that he was in no hurry whatsoever. And he said, "If you want to come back and do another one, then please do." I did meet him on two subsequent uh, occasions, uh, as it turned out. But uh, I was quite impressed by that. That uh, there was no sort of prima donna attacks to him, and that um, persona that he had on stage, I think, was one side of Mark Boland. But I do remember during the interview there were times that he was, uh, you know, quite serious about uh, the music business generally. Yeah, um, I think, and, and also when, when uh, it, of course, it, and then he, he, he met uh, Muriel Young, didn't he? Yes. Why well, I, I, I worked with uh, back in the sixties uh, when she was uh, producing some uh, pop show on 
in from Manchester, and uh, I think I think he and Muriel Young are on really well, and which was a, a huge boost to his ego when when you know when when he had uh, was presented with the Mark Show, and I think all all of these so there was progression, even, you know, even though he didn't have to sit down. I think God, I have another album to write with my contract. It it would it would spend you know time producing the Mark Show, and uh, I think everybody absolutely loved that. <laughs> South of the river, wasn't it? It um, was. It was indeed. I remember the lovely Muriel Young. She worked very hard, and uh, she came a long way from Pussycat Willem and Ollie Beak, right through the music industry to uh, disco and everything else, and, a, and an Ace TV producer. So yeah. yes, that much lamented and missed Muriel Young. There is a voice from the past, Alan, that you mentioned. Well, well absolutely. But all, all 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 these people seem to. When you're talking about, you never know what's going to happen. And then he met Muriel Young, you know, out of the blue, and 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 it was. You know, because Mark was such a. I think you, if you look closely, you could probably spot his halo. It was it, it was such an animate character that, and and the smile, you know, the smile that he had. And I think it is, his actual image on TV was amazing. And he came across because he was a genuine guy. He came across so genuinely, and I think you know people love that and and it was different um you know it was you've it was, got it uh, right i think you've got it in one i think we put that on the on the show today the many sides of mark boland he was t-rex but he wasn't t-rex he made t-rex but he didn't make t-rex because it was a team effort as you've just said yeah and uh, that was the whole point you know people he built this blanket around him and I'm sure he used the members of the group in very much the same way. And I'm sure the group there were to protect him, but at the same time, they wanted to progress. They wanted well, to well, well, absolutely. I think you create something and then go to the periphery and take a look, don't you? You do indeed. Now, taking a look in periphery, a bit earlier on, we played the basic version of Metal Guru. Now, we're going to treat you to a, another version done at Apple Studios, however, it's two or three weeks or a month later, whatever, I don't know, because they never kept any dates and any rotor on these things. They're typically disorganised, but in the Apple Store is legend, and this is part of it. Now, here is the song. It's not quite got the electronic wall, but it's very near what it turned out to be. Well, Metal Groove from Mark Boland with uh, T-Rex. I don't know if that was the uh, the final draft, so to speak, the final demo before they cut the uh, hit-making single. But, uh, Nigel, I've asked you about this because uh, that is almost there, isn't it? Minus the, the electronics, uh, so to speak. Well, that's, well, what, I, that's what I was going to say, Paul. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, Paul, because I hang no, over to fine. you. But I think what I was going to say is you can see in two steps how much you'd move that recording on uh, from the basic demo to there. And obviously you'll come in now and explain it whether if you know anything about it. But it was just the fact that he'd moved that song on so quickly from the basic acoustic demo to there. He'd got the drums in the right place. He'd got everything there set to go. And obviously he put the backing on, etc. But what a way to move a recording. Well, absolutely. I think I think possibly uh, when he wasn't, uh, he would always sit next to Tony Visconti and and they'd look at it and and you know then Tony would say, well, it makes would Tony in to get the power out of it. But then, yeah, if it needed overdubs. But the example of what you're doing, uh, 
actually actually you know uh, informs uh, your, your your wonderful listeners of how how things start and how it, how it builds up i mean with the with the fulcrum or the or the or the initial birth of a song and 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 you know which sounds i mean mark singing with his guitar would have he could have done an album just with that but he needed he, i think he needed to progress into in, in into the, the the world of more uh, electric power and you know which to a point you've got to be so careful because Mark's voice is so amazing and and wonderful and you can you can feel and, and hear the character uh, and so on and you have to be so careful but he he was he was quite happy to you know to embellish on that and and let you know let uh, you know let you know the, the the when Steve Curry wasn't around it was an amazing he was a really close friend of mine with Steve I was heartbroken when I heard what happened to him and but yeah he brought Danny Thompson in at the time I was there and all kinds of top people and I think Mark really enjoyed um, at the time a lot of the guys wouldn't have been playing much longer than Mark when he first started so there were no superstar musicians amongst them they were all just regular you know devoted guys learning their instruments and so on and then when Tony Visconti uh, started bringing the top session guys in I think Mark used to sit back oh my god you know this is amazing and he had he had it so that would certainly improve the sound and I think that is what would have excited him back then and and obviously making it uh, a little more uh, uh, electrically orchestral if you like that's interesting. Now, I think what we'll do, we've got about five minutes left, six minutes left. I think, well, you know, let's have a bit more of Mark. But first of all, with the interview with you, Alan, because I think that's important. But uh, does Mark live again today in a little for an hour for you, um, Paul? Or is it, you know, you're looking back with, with just affection? Yeah, no, I've, I've, it's, it's been it's been enjoyable. I could I could, I, could, I could do it all the time uh, because there wouldn't I would you know if I I do I do love uh, I have loved listening to it and I would I would like a a copy of your show if that was uh, at all possible so I could I could reflect on it. But the thing is, if I didn't do this, if I wasn't a genuine fan of of Mark and his music, how then could I go out and play? Interesting. Mm. No, so I was going to say, it's an interesting take on that, uh, actually, uh, Paul. When is your uh, next gig now? Right, well, yeah, Dave did mention that you'd be asking this question, and, you know, it's, it's on a need-to-know basis for me. I get a text from my <laughs> business manager uh, to tell me that, you know, next week we're going, I've got to be at the airport, and so on. You'd have to, you'd have to look at our website. But I can have that, you know, uh, it's, I think it's, uh, um, you know, uh, T, uh, all, all the W's dot T-Rex.co.uk and then uh, the music of Mark and Mickey I think it, you, if you can't get onto that site let me know and I'll have someone send it for you okay. so at least you can, you can have a listen and um, if there's any additions that you need to employ Right, well, first of all, before we say goodbye, let's have a couple, bits more, a couple of minutes of your interview, Alan, because okay. I think we'll finish, obviously, with Mark, and then we've got Paul as well, so just for a couple of minutes, we have T-Rex live in the studio talking, so shall we, have you, have you, shall we just continue, or have you got a prompt to come in? I don't think Mark ever needed a prompt. <laughs> no, well, there you go, Paul's there already as well. When you first started... I'm not a great right? musical fan of the Rollers, particularly, <laughs> Vocally said that now on tape. Right. They're cute, uh, there, they're cute, they're cute. I'd screw them, but I mean, I, I'm going to say they're <laughs> 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 Regarding your own music, which mm -hmm. taste, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
1968, when he first uh, recorded Deborah. 67. 67 yeah. was it, sorry, I'm a year out. Now, what was your idea then with Tyler? I'm, I'm, only, I'm only 19 now. You were <laughs> <laughs> a very mature lad at yeah, the age of 12, yeah. weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what was your idea when you first recorded Deborah? Mm. Uh, did you, in fact, want to be a psychedelic hero at that time? No, no. I, what I was doing, uh, I kept it very simple. We did that for 30 quid, actually. It was the end of uh, the first album, literally, something, yeah. And um, I, I was anti everything, in fact that yeah. producers standards for, and, you know, like backing and uh, strings and all that. So everything I use now, I didn't want to use then. So I kept it very basically simple. And I never thought it would sell for one moment, you know. Yeah. But unfortunately, it got to about 20 in the charts, which yeah. was very nice, with, with no airplay. This was a Tyrannical yeah. Now, what happened there? Did, were things not going as well as you expected? Uh, no, yeah, we, we had a lull, and we had uh, two two hits. One inch rock was a pretty big hit as well. Not really big, but again, 20, you know, which for an underground band was a lot. We, we were going out for that grand and I, and it, lo it looked good. The albums were doing well. Um, then Steve took the knife, fell out, and it was very musical. Paul, any comments on that little snippet there for you? Well, yeah, I've, as I said once again, en enjoyable to listen to his take on it. Um, I, I can't, I, I, there's not much I can add to that. Not really, not really. Well, Alan, I think it's time that we've got to go. I'll let you do the wrap. So, first of all, on my behalf, Paul, thank you very much for cutting the time this afternoon. I hope yeah, I was going to say one more thing to you before you, you can. Before you put me off. You're talking to the guy, right, that turned Paul McCartney down. Well, there you go, you see. There you go. You learned talking something. About, you're talking about McCartney, and I was in, I was at Melrose Towers uh, with Tony Visconti when McCartney said, oh, Paul's coming round tonight. And he turned up in this this old Land Rover, you know, very ordinary. And, uh, and you know, a couple of three days later, he'd already played some of the stuff I'd been working on or he'd been producing for us. And three days after that, he turned, he, you know, I, he, he asked me if I'd join him. And and I thought, God, you know, that would be quite a privilege. But I was already with, you know, working with people. And he said, Well, you've you've missed a chance of working with the best songwriter in the world, which was a pretty fair comment back at that time. <laughs> but but then I said to him, Well, what kind of price, you know, what kind of price do you put on loyalty? Well, that's right. That's right. And uh, you know, I hope that you've. Uh enjoyed yourself tremendously today paul because i have to I say have, yeah. we have thoroughly enjoyed having you have we not alan we have indeed paul thank you very much for uh, joining us on this occasion and well hopefully absolutely. we can do it again yeah uh, I, I, I was the, the one thing i had a problem with my landline uh, doesn't have the same volume settings that i've got on my other phone but it was easy i wasn't going to fry my brains for an hour so i was struggling <laughs> i had to listen very intently to struggle so if i have been if i was delayed on some of my answers because i wasn't hearing you clearly it doesn't enough. matter we go live we record live and that's the way it's to be well we'll get on your website we will get back in touch with dave we'll get in contact with you again providing you obviously enjoyed yourself and want to come back you'll have a copy of the oh, well program. no any t any time when I've, i i do go out i am busy with with other stuff but when you know yep. I, I was at home today and it was a perfect time i told dave friday was great right and and no but dave, dave is a wonderful person a very very close friend a very intelligent man and i've got all the time in the world for him and you guys do no worries well i'll tell you what the, the five is in the post <laughs> <laughs> 
Paul? No, I, no, no when, we, we, when we're talking about things that we enjoy, uh, it's, it's always a pleasure. Right, well, we've got to go. Um, we'll get on the phone and say thanks in a minute. Paul, you mind how you go? Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, and uh, good, good luck and with your reviews on your show, if that's what happens. And uh, you stay, stay with it, guys. You're doing an incredible job. Thank you very much indeed. Mind how you go, Paul. And you too. Bye. Bye for now. That was Nigel Pierce and Alan Thompson speaking with Paul Fenton, the drummer for the group T-Rex. We'll have more authentic British radio for you next time on our UK radio podcast.